Spread Great Ideas is meant to increase the signal in a world awash in noise. I'm your curator and host, Brian David Crane, and it is my quest to share the learnings of the world's most interesting people, the disruptors, the outliers, the libertines, and those who've been unconventionally successful so that we can become a little bit wiser together. Cool. So today I'm sitting here with Lavinia Iosub. Uh, she is the managing partner at Livid International, which is this really beautiful co-working startup incubator hub uh, down in Sanur, um, about an hour from Ubud in uh, in Bali, Indonesia. And Livid is a place that runs events like Project Getaway. It also hosts um, and builds remote teams and uh, highly functional teams here um, for various companies throughout Asia and elsewhere in the world. I'm watching her roll her eyes as I go through my uh, my introduction here. I'm going to try to speed it up. Um, she's talented kind of across a number of areas, whether it's from scaling remote teams, operations uh, for those remote teams, ensuring compliance, ensuring that the people who do come to Bali to work have a phenomenal time. Um, she's prior to this experience at Livet and prior to building Livet, she, um, she lived in eight different countries on four continents. She has had a world outside of uh, startups and co-working where she experimented with banking, NGOs, event, event management, um, and, uh, and definitely worked with a lot of celebrities, some of whom I didn't know. And now I do like, uh, Mila Jovovich, uh, and uh, she she bills herself as a recovering perfectionist and a hopeless jazz fan. So she's here in Bali for two thirds of the year. Outside of that one third, she is location independent, i.e. a digital nomad. Um, and uh, originally from Romania, I happen to be sitting here face to face. I know your parents are as well from, uh, or they have a place in the Carpathian Mountains. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was cool. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> cool. So. Uh, after that long-winded intro, I'll just say that having walked through the facilities here, walk, walk through the co-working space, you got four floors. Um, there's a cafeteria down at the ground floor, uh, a couple, the, two, the second and third floor, not really a cafeteria, a cafe that's slash co-working space. Um, uh, the second and third floor are uh, air-conditioned offices. The fourth floor is like an outdoor kind of deck overlooking um, overlooking Bali, uh, all very picturesque, all very Instagram worthy. Um, what's the story behind this building? What did it used to be before you all took it over and started to create this? Mm-hmm. Um, so this building used to be a factory, a clothing factory. They were actually exporting to New York okay. and they were producing the kind of stuff that you would expect to see, um, I don't know, prints or somebody wear, okay. <laughs> you know, lots of glittery things and so on. But the building, um, was, um, basically kind of a glorified sweatshop and we only kept the shell of the building and um, sort of like blew up everything else and built it back together to fit our needs. Um, So it used to be a collection of just giant holes, giant rooms. And then um, of course we put in like kitchens and bathrooms and showers and um, private rooms and Skype rooms and a quiet room for naps and um, prayer and other things. And, uh, so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah. So it was a transformative process, I sure, guess. For sure, yeah. Take a yeah. take a building that was that was used for something 
let's say, not so savory and make it repositioned for uh, something that is quite a bit more uh, palpable, yeah? Yeah, and something that we feel is um, is actually, um, so our, our community is um, majority local, actually. Um, we have a lot of expats, but um, it's majority local as well. Um, and uh, we feel like what we're doing here gives um, more chances and more opportunity for for uh, great careers, for making impact at a global scale, um, beyond uh, just making glittery shorts and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that, that that's one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about because it was, um, like, having been in Bali for a couple of years, when you started to tell me about Live It, when, when you and I met in the fall, um, the impression that I've had in Bali is that it's obviously very tourism-based, it's very service-based, and so there's not a lot of... Uh, um, tech being built in Bali. I think elsewhere in Indonesia, there's definitely more hubs of tech um, and remote work, but at least in Bali, uh, my perception prior to meeting you was that it was effectively a lot of Westerners building lifestyle businesses and then supported by the Balinese in terms of like they could just rent a villa or get a massage or get food delivered. And so um, Live It is one of the few places, maybe the only one on the island where there's actual... Um, there's Indonesian teams here that, that are building and they're in front of big monitors and they have proper, you know, it's like a proper workspace, right? Like they've got, you know, ergonomic keyboards and, um, it looks like they're on like a sprint methodology with whiteboards and whatnot. So, um, is that perception correct? Is this one of the few that, yeah, on the Island that that's the case? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, Bali is an amazing hub for, um, for entrepreneurship, solopreneurship, digital nomadism, freelancers. Um, there are lots of siblings in that family, right? Mm. Um, for a lot of um, foreigners, um, I think there's majority Westerners, but there's other, other um, nationalities and parts of the world as well coming, coming in together. Um, but a lot of it is lifestyle businesses, which are great, and I think it's um, yeah they they serve a great purpose, and um, and a lot of them are great. Um, uh, some of them are um, taking advantage of the like sort of West versus developing country sure. um, sort of gaps and like building on that, which of course everybody you know feels in different ways about that. But um, I think I think that's what's mostly found in Bali. Um, I think in terms of tech. Um, Indonesia has a lot of great talent. It's mainly stationed in Jakarta and mm. uh, in Bandung. So actually, when we when we do recruitment, we hire a lot of people from Bandung, some from Surabaya as well. And, and then move them over here. Uh, some move over here. Some work prefer to work remotely, okay. uh, which is totally fine because yeah. the teams we built are perfectly capable of working remotely. And then maybe coming together once or twice a year with the whole team, having a great sprint. Um, of work and um, bonding together as a team as well. So that's one of the things that we do. Um, but but yeah, so I would say there's there's a lot of good tech talent being educated in Indonesia. Um, Bali, unfortunately, um, educates mostly hospitality people yeah. um, and some management, um, a little bit of culture and arts as well. Actually, a lot of culture and arts too. Um, so... Usually, even if you've got Balinese people that want to get a degree in tech, they go somewhere else. They leave Bali. They go to Java. They leave yeah. Bali. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't. So, mm. um, so yeah, there's not a lot of tech happening in Bali. 
for us, it was a decision based on, on, on lifestyle and on our firm belief in remote um, distributed work. We just didn't feel like you need to be, absolutely need to be in one of the big hubs to make this happen. Mm. So, yeah, when you, when you speak about not necessarily needing to be in one of the big hubs to make this happen, there, um, I'd mentioned before we talked that uh, we, we've worked for six, seven years with a, a software team in Warsaw, Poland. And um, that team has grown from when we started, I think they were at, I don't know, eight to 10 people. Now they're up to 140. But the, the, the moral of the story, the point of the story is, is that I would go and I still go to Warsaw uh, every year to work with them face-to-face for a period of time. And I think that for entrepreneurs or people who are, who are listening to this, who are interested in, um, wanting to have a team in a place that they actually really want to go visit. Like I like Warsaw. It's a fascinating place, but it wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't go there if it weren't for, um, the team being there. And so if you wanted to build a team actually in Bali, which would be really nice because you can live here and then you can also work with your team, uh, live, it would be maybe the only, (laughs) the only people to talk to, uh, on the Island to do so. Is that fair? Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess, uh, to my knowledge, yes, Um, we are definitely one uh, solid provider for that. Yeah. So, uh, but there might be other spaces that I might not be aware of or service providers. So I don't want to leave anybody out. That's a very, that's a very political, politically uh, soft way of saying, yeah, probably, probably the only one I'll say it. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe there are, yeah, but they're not as well uh, branded or well known as, uh, as Livet. So to kind of give some context to what Lavinia does and, and live it across the board. So you have, um, uh, you have co-working, like we talked about beforehand, you have, you have, you, you, you have a co-working space, you have kind of an incubator, um, both incubator in the sense of, uh, a, an existing company comes to you and says, Hey, we need additional help and that you can help expand. Uh, and also an incubator in the sense of you have like people who apply to something like project getaway and they want to build um, their own business or they want to, mm, sometimes it's just like kind of launch a new career, career, right? In a way. Yeah. 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 Um, Pivot or accelerate. Pivot or accelerate. Um, And then you also have uh, big teams here in the space, two to three of them uh, that they have grown um, almost like Amazon web services for engineering teams. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. And then, and then you sit amongst all of this and keep, essentially keep the trains running. Is that? Yeah, correct. Um, I think the best way I would describe us is a um, support ecosystem for um, entrepreneurs and for startups, right? So we do a lot of things. We almost have, um, let's say, a wide stack of services that, um, that basically go into the same direction, which is allowing entrepreneurs and their teams to do great work, to build amazing companies um, with a global impact, because um, those are the companies we, we help the most, um, and grow sort of high-performance, remote-capable teams that mm. get a lot done mm. and enjoy life. Um, those two things were traditionally seen as opposites, yeah. right? The, Contradictory, the, the, not complementary. Um, exactly, and the, you know... Um, hustle porn and just grinding and working really long hours and everything. I'm very, very happy to see that in the startup world, there are some big names um, 
sort of starting to 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 talk about this not needing to be you know um yeah just completely forget about this five years of your life it's work non-stop and at least in corporate you have the assurance of a good paycheck at the end a pension and everything in startups you don't have that you could lose everything right if the mm. startup goes down the drain um so it never made sense for me right it makes sense for me that you can learn how to do better work uh more organized streamlined work and enjoy your life as well mm. um so the voices that i was talking about are for example uh, the founders at Basecamp who wrote Rework. They also recently put out a book uh, called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. I really recommend it for people that want to build startups but don't want to give up on life entirely as well. Um, and also Doist uh, or Twist, our other, um, like another founder that is very vocal um, about this. And we're very, very happy to see that that um, that it, 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 um, it is increasingly presented as something that you can do because you have a very enhanced sense of mission and what you want to do in the world and you're scratching an itch um, and you're not only killing yourself to chase the next $1 billion exit. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see that. And what you see here um, is even the physical space is a manifestation of how we think about life and work. And, um, you know, you, you've got restroom, um, like um, rooms where you can like sort of rest and recharge and um, meditate, whatever it is you want to do. You've got slides and hammocks and the rooftop with a beautiful view. So um, you either take your time to relax or you 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 actually have that as a background of, of doing work. Um, and um, yeah, so um, everything that's in the building is not coincidental. It was very sure. thought through. Well, I think when you talk about what, what what was thought through in the building, one thing I notice is I think at one end of the extreme, you can have people who mm, they identify as digital nomads, but they have um, really bad, uh, like they don't really have a workspace. So they're in cafes, they're in restaurants, this type of thing. Um, and here you, you're trying to strike a balance between saying like, this is a particular lifestyle I want, but you also still need ergonomic chairs you also still need an air-conditioned room. You need a space that's separate from where you live, which is a lot of times I see people who are like they they work from their kitchen counter and this sort of stuff, and that's useful for you know a short period of time, but it's certainly not um, I think conducive to long-term mental health and long-term stability. Um, so, can you talk about that a little bit as far as I think there's a there's there's a lot of misconceptions around remote work. One of them being that remote work you still need to have, like, it's, you almost need to create an atelier or a, a space where you go to work um, that has uh, the things in it that support you so that you can actually live the life that you want to from a lifestyle perspective. So in, if, for instance, if you're, if you're hunched over your laptop and your back hurts and you're not getting nearly as much done as you would be in, a, in an office, that's not really a win in the grand scheme, right? Absolutely. Um, I think a, a good workspace needs to be healthy and sustainable, right? As you're saying, you need to be comfortable if you're going to sit down and do deep work for a few hours. Um, and then it also needs to be conducive of the habits that put you in flow yes. or in however you want to call uh, productivity and, and, and so on. Um, and I think, again, without 
sounding disrespectful or anything, I think there are some types of work that can be done from cafes and restaurants. Um, if you are You blogging, can disagree with me whenever you want to. It's okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Not, not with you. With uh, generally what's very trendy now, right? Okay. So I think you can write blog posts and you can do... Um, can create a social media feed of good content and you can do all these things from a restaurant or from a cafe, but you might not be able to develop a um, very good strategy for scale or um, do some complicated problem solving or code for 12 hours from sure. a um, restaurant or from a cafe. Um, I, I still have to meet somebody that that's able to do that right from a, from a wooden uncomfortable bench or chair and um, uh, you know, drenching in sweat and, yep. um, and having being... people talk and approach you and everything. Yep. So, so what we have in here has two, two bits to it. The first one is fully geared towards productivity. Um, I think of it of a um, plug and play environment where you've got, you've literally um, got like plugs everywhere. You've got good chairs, you've got AC, you've got quiet areas, you've got plenty of space, so you're not like um, sort of um, crowded next to somebody else that might be doing a very different type of work. Um, you've got um, standing tables, you've got bin bags, if at some point you want to alternate the way you, you sit and, and, and so on. So from an ergonomic and health point of view, um, you've got what you need. You've, you also have like a um, a tennis table and you've got yoga and dance classes and, and swimming not far from here um, that we organize for groups that want to do that. So all of that is optional, but they are options for you to take a break mm. that helps you go back to be recharged and inspired and not just <laughs> go for hours on end. Because we know that once your resources are depleted, the more you try to pedal the, the less productive you actually get, right? So there's that aspect to it. And then there's the aspect of like a playful environment that mm. also gives you, um, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's not only productive and sterile, right? It's also beautiful. It, it's inspiring. It gives you the opportunity to do other things uh, that might not be super work related um, if you wish to, right? Like good food and all of these things. Yeah, you didn't leave uh, Des Moines, Iowa and come to Bali so that you could sit in a cubicle effectively exactly yeah. which which i think which i think if you if you start a company that starts being very su successful and you happen to be in bali it's it, it's a big um it's it's a big trap that you can fall into i i know at least a few people who are working way too much for being in bali okay yeah um it's just um doesn't really make sense i'm sometimes guilty of that although i'm really good with separating things um and but i sometimes when i get very excited about a project or something that's going on um i i you dive in yeah you're yeah, you're, you dive you're, in. you're immersed in it but you need to compensate right mm -hmm. um so i think um they say there are two types of people there are even tests for this online so they say there are in terms of work-life balance there are people who uh, like to compartmentalize and people who like to integrate, right? So people who don't mind jumping from, I don't know, making a payment for a personal issue to um, a work tab and doing something there and going back to it and not having very well-defined work hours um, and just like sort of having a synergy, right, between work and play. Um, and that's, I think that's, it works... That, that's the integrative or integrative yes. type? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then the 
compartmentalizers are people who just really like to know this chunk of the day is there for work. Um, I often um, don't actually have my phone in the same room with me. Um, I, I sometimes think it's like, oh, if something really bad happens, I wouldn't even know until a few hours later. But it works for me and it works for other people as well, that you just like dive deep, do what you need to do, um, are more productive than uh, if you um, switch from tab to tab, or at mm. least for myself. Um, and then you kind of move on, go out, do what you need to do, do a workout, go to a movie, disconnect completely. Yeah. Um, so okay. I, I, I often have a cutoff time at around 8 p.m. I don't even uh, see my emails after that time yeah. until the morning. Yeah. So I'm in that camp. I'm in the compartmentalized camp. I mean, there's, which it sounds like you are as well. Yeah. Um, and there's a phenomenon in Ubud that is, I have friends who invite me to things that it'll be Wednesday at one o'clock in the afternoon or whatnot. And it's just a non-starter because of my compartmentalization. And I think, I don't know what, these people are here working supposedly, and maybe for them it's easier to move things around. But for me, I'm like, yeah, I need, I've kind of protected that time. Yeah, same um, for me, same yeah. here. And I think it, I genuinely, honestly think it can work for some people. Yeah. Um, but that also means that they don't have a cutoff time and they work spills into the evening and they're always connected, which again is really good for some types of work and for some uh, people types of their, people. Yep. So, um, Absolutely, whatever floats everybody's boat, right? Mm. They, they, you should do whatever makes you feel productive, makes you feel like you're getting a lot done, and makes you feel happy as well. Do you, boy, do you really believe that, or do you think that someone should get tested first to then find out which one of the two camps they fall into? And the reason being is that if you followed that last piece of advice and you don't know which one of the two camps you fall into, then if you are really somebody who compartmentalizes, but yet you don't adhere to any kind of uh, framework around your work and you wind up checking email at 11, 10 o'clock at night, it's not actually conducive to like, you should know which one of the two you are beforehand. Well, effectively. I mean, what you say in a test is still what you believe <laughs> is best for you. Right. So um, it's still the, the result of the test is still going to be biased. If you think that's good for you, because okay. the questions are going to be like, do you prefer this or that? And if you really prefer that, then the result is going to be that. I, I, would t I would say that we're all adults, and if it doesn't work for somebody, you'd know, right? Mm. If it doesn't work for you, you'd know at some point. You'd um, have a signs of a burnout, or you'd be, like, sick and tired of work, or you'd be, you know, like, mm. that. Um, and I think that bit is more important. Understanding our bodies and our minds, and understanding when things are starting to kind of tuck at our sleeve and tell us like, hey, that's not really hello, you mm -hmm. know, that's not great for me. Um, I think that's the bit that we should do, right? Because mm -hmm. you can compartmentalize and still work too much and still get burned out, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not a silver bullet, right? right? Because even inside of that compartmentalization, when you're inside your box, you're working too much effectively? Yeah. yeah. Or, or you can... Um, um, you know, you can, maybe your ideal balance is, um, I don't know, 50% work, 50% life and you're compartmentalizing and you're working 80% and only leaving 20% for life. So it's not, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's not, um, that doesn't mean that you will just get it right. If you do one thing, I believe, um, all of this frameworks and all of this tests and all everything that we read needs to be um, connected with other things that we know about ourselves with... Um, um, run through a filter of with, does this work for exactly, you? Exactly. Run it through a filter. Think of your experience so far. 
Um, and, and then also get good at listening to your body and to mm. your mind. Cause I think specifically when I go in uh, to Europe mm. uh, in specifically in big cities, I think that's the thing that strikes me the most. It feels like a lot of people haven't even had a conversation with themselves in a long time and are just chasing the next um, train, the next promotion, the next title, the next race. And um, it's gotten to the point where it feels like they're almost scared to have Mm. that conversation with themselves. Mm. Um, And, um, and I think, leaving that space Mm. and that room in your life and making it a point to just sit down with yourself for 10, 15 minutes a day, however you call that. You can call it sitting, doing nothing, (laughs) decluttering, meditation, prayer, yoga, whatever you want to call that. Um, And just give your... not on the screen. No screen time. No screen time. No to-do list to think of. Just be with yourself for 10, 15 minutes mm. and your body and your mind is going to um, um, give you some hints. Um, mm. It sounds very woo-woo, but it's not. It's very simple. And actually science is saying that more and more. And mm. it's, um, countries that are listening are even starting to um, integrate that in their um, educational systems. Mm. So uh, Finland and so on. So. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so let's 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 shift just for a minute into the more holistic or the health side cuz when you and I spoke in in the fall, you talked about some things like binaural beats um that you use some of the apps that you use when you wake up. I don't remember what it was. Um um one of the things I use is Delta Wave music. Okay. Um and um uh, and I also there there are a few um apps that are really good like Headspace um yeah. that are good to use but again there are quite a few on the market so um people might have other options that work for them there's uh one called Mindfy that is very good because it does um um it has some options for like calming music and meditation and these things but it also has um it can sort of do a, a deep, deep work, sort of Pomodoro technique almost for mm. you. Um, and uh, if we're on the topic, there's also a really cool app called Forest, which um, plants a tree and the tree is growing for 45 minutes or whatever you set it to. And if you touch your phone and try to do something with it during that time, the tree dies. So, and then it can also play some really nice like forest sounds or, or so on. There are lots of tools that can be used to, to, to set yourself up for, for good productive work. For success. Yeah. Yeah. And but, so good. But the most important one is disable those notifications Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if possible, put away any screens that are not helping you for whatever it is that you're going to do. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, so what you're touching on is the thread of some form of self-discipline when it's not checking the phone, putting the phone in the other room, whatever. Like if you put the phone in the other room, it's creating a situation where you know maybe you don't have enough self-discipline not to check your phone, so you intentionally put it somewhere that you can't get to it. And there is um, one of the one of my personal acts is to grind with a lot of the stuff in in the digital nomad world is that they don't tell people how much self-discipline it actually takes when you don't have the structure around you that is, let's say, imposed by a company or by a boss. And so um, 
there's an old story about uh, baseball players in the Dominican Republic who they have to. I'll keep this very short, but basically they they um, uh, they learn to hit any kind of pitch. Are you familiar with baseball? Yeah, at least a little bit. Okay, so they learn to hit any kind of pitch um, uh, in order to get off the island. And so they hit it at their head, at their feet, whatever it is, doesn't matter. And then when they get off the island, they get into the major leagues. Um, the hitting coaches have to actually train them not to swing at every pitch and only swing at the ones that are in their strike zone. And it's like a whole new muscle form. And a lot of them don't make it. And there's the moral of the like story is wiring. Yeah. Is that you have to almost learn. It's like you learned how to do one thing to get off the island, which was you got your freedom. Let's say you started to make some money online. You made it to Bali. But then when you get here, it's a whole different set of skills that you really have to adopt, which is to essentially make it sustainable so that you don't burn out, so that you have some kind of balance. Um, and it takes a lot of self-discipline. It's probably the thing I've seen that with people who aren't able to make it stick is they um, they just don't put structures around them that facilitate that. Or they don't say no to the things that are the distractions. Is that what, is that what you've seen? Absolutely. Absolutely. We see that a lot too. Um um, I think a part of it overlaps with, um, I mean, obviously being um, an entrepreneur and being, um, yeah, location independent entrepreneur is a whole different level of self-discipline that is needed. But a part of it is um, um, also for remote workers, even if you've got a job, uh, but you can work from anywhere, you can work presumably at various times because of the time zone difference and everything, you still have to be able to organize and motivate yourself to get those things done, right? Mm. Um, so we see that a lot in this new emerging ways of work, be it remote work, location independence, trying to get a business off the ground, trying to keep a business going or get it to the next level while on the go. There's so much distraction. There's so much distraction and there's, if, especially if you're moving around, um, yeah like a typical digital nomad, there's yeah. no guarantee you're going to find good internet, a productive space, all of these things. Um, or that you'll even sleep well where you're staying. I mean, that, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, and that's one of the things I actually love about um, about what our clients at Livid say, the fact that they come to Livid Hub and um, they say like, we've had the most productive week in a long time. <laughs> we were able to do so much just because we didn't have these distractions and and we could just, you know, plow through a big amount of work. Um, I think it's very, uh, self-discipline is super important. Mm. One interesting tool, because we were talking about earlier, earlier about self-awareness and tests and stuff like that. Um, there's a framework called the four tendencies um, um, that's that? um, been... Uh, um, sort of um, pioneered by Gretchen Rubin, um, an American woman. Um, and she talks about expectations and how we respond to them. And the four tendencies are basically different combinations of how we we respond to those expectations. Mm. So, for example, somebody who who responds well to an outside external expectation and internal expectations is an upholder. Okay. So that person's more likely to be disciplined and to be um, really going after what they want to do. Um, a person who responds really well to inner expectations, but very poorly to outer expectations is a questioner. A uh, person who doesn't respond well to either of them is a, um, is a rebel, for example, and so on, right? So it's... And can these be changed? Or it's effectively, it's like a personality trait. I think, I think, but tendencies can probably change uh, a little bit. Um, 
Uh, and, and and again, like this test should not be like, yeah, I got categorized as this, this is it. But it's a good, it, it's an interesting even thought process to, to go through, right? Mm. To, to be like, how did I react? Did I meet the deadline or did I meet the expectations last five times that somebody's, you know, um, um, sort of given me a task or expected something of me? How about when I expected it from myself, right? Um, because there are tools that you can employ for that. So, for example, if you're really bad at responding to inner expectations, probably great to have an accountability body, right? That yeah. that like keeps like sort of nudging you and um, and, and and so on, right? If you're somebody who um, responds very poorly to um, to outside expectations, you you probably should try to craft your own journey right then not have a boss because you're probably never gonna get along with that person right so um it's an interesting one to go through but um but i think yeah there are definitely there are personalities and tempers that are more likely to do really well with having a whole world of opportunities and possibilities of spending your time because bali really is like that i've been here five years i can still do something new every weekend right um and being able to say no to that because you see the longer term like sort of reward, right? Yeah. Um, and there's so much written about it, mm. right? On online and said about it and everything. Um, you just have to kind of be dedicated to finding whatever works for you because I, I think for different people, different things work. Yeah. The, te the, the tendency, I don't know which one of the four tendencies I would identify as, but the, the thing that has been, very useful for me is to create negative bets mm -hmm. um, as a bit of like, I have to, the, the most recent one was I would have to donate a thousand dollars to a politician I really dislike and do a public post supporting that person. Um, and that got me, and it was amongst a group of friends that got me to really power through some things that I wanted to get through and I was delaying on. And um, well, I would say that's a typical example of you being able to uphold everybody's expectation of you of not supporting, I don't know, Trump or whoever, you know, um, which is a very, I guess, legitimate expectation of your or your friends, maybe, uh, but not uh, not naturally trusting yourself to be able to, to uphold that expectation yourself, yeah. right, for yourself. Yeah. So I would say that's a typical case of being responding better to outside ex expectations than to to inner ones, right? Because mm. somebody else might be like. Yeah, I don't care that what my friends are going to think. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. So, and I'll just take it on the chin and make the donation, and not. Uh, they yeah. probably wouldn't even get to that point because yeah, you got to, to that point yeah. to do that because yeah. you knew that was going to work for you, right? No, there were social pressures with a couple friends, and we all had bets like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, two out of the three made it. Those um, are very interesting ones for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one, yeah. There was. It's a good one with friends because if you know what will really get under your friend's skin and they're susceptible to it, it's a really good motivator. Yeah, because you pick something. Um, one of my friends is really big on climate change, so he was going to have to have a climate change denier onto his podcast. Painful. Yeah, things that you don't want to do, right? <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. so funny how if you're an entrepreneur or a freelancer or you have a side gig or you often look at... Um, you're sort of running away from the nine to five to mm. do the 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. Or you're <laughs> running away from a boss, but now you have to employ your friends to be your boss to he keep you accountable for certain things. Yeah. So it's funny how we reject this very traditional structures. And then we kind of look for that 
you know, pressure or certainty or uh, coercion or however we want to call those things, right? Mm. Um, and then fall back into technically replicating the old structures anyway in a different way. Yeah, you're trading one master for another in a way. Exactly. But maybe it's a master of your choosing in the second one. Which is very important. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. you'd rather be in a uh, an awful situation because you chose to and you take full responsibility for it than... That's the key. You, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend who has a business uh, which the goal is to go to war on procrastination and he, um, it's called commit action and basically they, what do they do? They they, they say, okay, cool, we're going to create accountability groups, cost $79 a month, but they only hire personal trainers for the calls because the personal trainers are so good at basically being like, Lavinia, what did you agree to this week? What are you getting to next week? And just keep people on point. And it's a similar, I mean, I have a lot of friends, another one who's paying, I think close to $8,000 a month to be in a, uh, a mastermind and he's paying it because it forces him to take action on things. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's a very viable tool, right? If yeah. that's what you need and you yeah. reach the conclusion, that's what you need. Then you need to, it's like, yeah. you know, trade one master for the other, but know what the master is that you, that you're, you know, signing up for you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you had also mentioned prior to the podcast, some tools that I wanted to ask you about as far as remote work goes and what are best practices and what you're using when you recommend these different, um, cause you, you also do kind of consulting work as well, right? Where you, somebody says our operations and when I mean operations, I mean just getting things out the door, not necessarily HR and payroll and these sort of things, but that, our operations aren't really optimal. So what do you recommend? Like, uh, um, are we talking like uh, ClickUp? Are we talking GitLab? Was it like a specific, yeah. How, what's the set of tools that you recommend? I would say that we don't rush into recommending a set of tools that um, are standard for everybody. Uh, we take the time to look at the company and what the company needs, what they've experienced with, Maybe there's something they're already using, but it's not um, used, you know, um, streamlined or um, by the whole team or in the right way and so on. Um, for example, there's a team we're looking at working with right now. They're using, a part of their team is using um, Asana for recruitment and a part of their team is using Trello for web development. So probably when we get to sit down with them, one of those would work for the entire team for more purposes than just what it's being used for, right? So we don't go in being like, we know the one stack. tool that yeah. is going to change your life and everything. We listen and we try to see what the team needs. That being said, obviously, there are some teams out, uh, some tools out there that are, you know, good or like very credible, very solid. Um, for project management, I would say um, Asana covers a wide array of types of work. And it can go very um, sort of deep and detailed. Um, it's got a lot of ways of creating workflows, of creating um, recurring tasks, creating templates for, um, as I was saying, for example, for a hire, right? Like what you need to do every time you hire somebody yeah, for onboarding, for offboarding. We use it a lot for this for these things. Um, I would say in the world of Team communication, there's a big debate right now between um, synchronous and asynchronous communication. 
mm, arguments on both sides, very good arguments. Um, again, whatever floats everybody's boat, right? Um, it's a strategic decision that you have to make. Do you want people to be able to do more deep work and not feel the pressure to reply to things right away, uh, which basically is the asynchronous type of communication? Um, and do you want them to, uh, you know, have more time to come up with better answers and everything, but at the same time, work will be slower, right? Um, or do you want them to, at least for a part of the day, feel compelled to reply right away when something happens? Work will be faster, but um, sometimes the, the quality of work might not be as high, right? Yeah, yeah. Or do you want to combine? Yeah. Or, or you want to say this window, which can be smaller or bigger, we're all online and we're replying to each other and for the rest of the time we're asynchronous or anything in between. Um, I think if you're going for synchronous communication, Slack is a consecrated one already, like everybody uses it. If you're looking at a synchronous communication, um, Twist is a good one, mm -hmm. uh, which organizes threads really well and allows you to notify only the people who are um, relevant for that conversation. While Almost keeping, like a ticket system. Um, kind let's of. say so more like a let's say maybe like a forum. Okay. Um, it it it's not very much unlike Slack, but it's just it's just built with the idea of asynchronous in mind. Yeah. And with the idea that you should only notify everything should be transparent for pretty much everybody, but you should only notify people who are relevant for the conversation. Yeah. So if I'm not part of that conversation and I want to check the conversation, I still can but I'm not going to get pinged every time something's being said. Um, so um, this That's is cool. a perfect example of how people want to, you know, choose their company to look like or work like, and then you go different ways, right? Um, Let me speak to that just for a moment, because one of the things that we've noticed in, in one of my companies is I would call, almost call it like legacy decisions where you choose a platform, let's call it twist in ours, well, we use Confluence and like the, the, the legacy decision of having chosen to use Confluence, which is a wiki platform, then to migrate off of that uh, a year or two years down the road, there's like such a, there's a, there's a very big switching cost, number one. But number two is, is that um, uh, I don't know how teams in the, it's almost, it's like a philosophical question of like, if you're moving ahead and then you almost need to stop moving ahead and kind of re-engineer the engine, um, if you're going to switch from one communication platform to another so that the engine can then function down the road. And how do you advise people or teams? Does that make sense? My question of like, if you, if it you said, yeah, you need, you, that you need to switch and then to, to stop things for a period of time in order to switch from Asana to whatever, I don't know, Trello, let's say, or vice versa, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's only about communication. I think it's about, I don't know, something like project management switching from Asana to Monday or to Trello or to Basecamp. Um, I think all of these tools and the decisions that stand behind them are ultimately actually shaping the culture. So when you take a decision, if it's, let's say if it's something simple, like your, your uh, password vault, right? You yeah. can make that switch. It's not going to be like, it's going to be a bit, a bit of an admin pain for the person that actually migrates the, the whole thing, but it's not going to be like this massive shift, right? But if you change the way you manage projects, which tool, tool is a big part of that, right? Or the way you communicate, it is a shift in culture. And I, I think um, decisions to change systems and tools can come from two different reasons. The 
um, at least two different reasons. The first one is because you took a strategic decision that you don't want to do synchronous communication anymore yep. and you're looking for a tool that serves that better or because you feel like maybe the tool you've been using, let's say for project management, um, it, it hasn't been hasn't developed the features that you want and you've found that in something else, right? So it's like a sort of competitor situation. So at the top of the pyramid, you got asynchronous versus synchronous. And then once you're defined into which bucket you're into, then you're looking at... Uh... Uh, no, no, I'm just talking about two types of reasons you would change a tool or a okay. system. One of them being that you want to actually change the strategy behind it, the culture, yep. uh, which would be this example with synchronous versus asynchronous, but there are many other examples as well, um, or, such as, oh, you want to go remote, you know, you want to mm. fully remote or whatever. That's a big strategic decision that impacts the culture and everything else, right? Um, and then the other type of reason you would make that decision, which is you simply feel there's a competitor for that tool, for the tool you're already using that does a better job at the very same thing that you're doing, right? And those two are very different because the one that comes with a culture or a strategic change, um, I think if you take that decision, you will have, basically, you will have to change your system. Maybe not the entire system or platform, but you will have to change a lot of things around it. SOPs, policies, whatever you want to call it, right? Your um, company talent handbook, culture deck, and so on, all the things that are happening now, right? Um, so, so if you're about to undergo a change like that, you should be very, um, very um, sort of aware yeah, of the time it will steal from the team. And you should make that decision because you feel your team after this whole change will be so much better off because of that. Or you'll be able to work better, more, produce better, end results and so on, right? If you're simply changing because the competitor is better, let's say you're um, let's say uh, Asana and Basecamp are fairly similar, right? And you just, you know, there's a few features that just you like better in the other one. Or there's, or there's somebody on the team who really likes one and really pushes for it and everyone else is kind of 50-50. Yeah. My advice would be that other competitor has yeah. to be so much better to justify for the cost, to justify the pain yeah. of switching yeah. that you have to think very carefully about it. Because mm. um, especially if you're three people, if you're two co-founders and one web designer or something, that's a different story. But if you're a team of 10 and above, even 10 is not a big team, but it's still um, sizable, right? There are going to be like two people who hate it, don't want to work in it. Two people who like it, but they take a long time to get used to it. There's going to be things lost in the migration of the information. Um, not to mention um, uh, company memory and knowledge. You're going to have to go back into a different tool. It's a whole mess, right? I looked into, for example, uh, Notion, which is a, a yep. concept I really like. Yep. Um, and I was kind of flirting with the idea of, 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 of doing that at some point. Me too. But then I realized I went step by step through what it would mean to offboard everybody Asana from Asana and go to the other one. And I was like, it's just not worth it. I think I'll just use it for personal purposes if I, if I need to, right? And now Just, when, you, when you've done that, when you've used it for personal purposes, have you found that actually it may, might not have been uh, as sexy or as um, what you thought it was? Or, and I kind of cut you off there, but, or did you find like now that you started to use Notion that you're like, actually, we really do need to move off of Asana, that, some, that the sizzle matched up with the steak, let's say? 
I think I think it was the right decision mm. because I feel like it's if you could magically offboard everybody and then the very next minute onboard everybody to a fully formed board that has everything they need in there, sure, that would be great. They would be so much more productive and clear about what they have to do and everything. But you're disregarding potentially six months to a year of less productive time. So I think it was the right decision because it is a fairly complex tool notion, right? And it, it is highly, highly customized. And I think... Um, when you have a larger team that does very different types of work, simplicity is much better than, than giving a lot of customization potential, but potentially having people feeling lost and not mm -hmm. knowing what they're doing with themselves. Or where to go find the information they're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Okay, so uh, let's pivot right there and just talk. You had introduced me to a term called holacracy. Um, which is a management style. Explain it to me again. I just remember the word thinking it was pretty fascinating. What is it? It's actually an anti-management style. It's a self-managed okay. system. So okay. the whole idea is that you don't actually manage people, that you hire people, onboard them on very well-defined roles, ideally hire people who are better and more knowledgeable than you at what they're doing, so instead of you telling them, don't post on Facebook, post on Instagram to your marketing manager or social media manager, he knows better than you and self-manages that mm. and also has the authority to affect the change that he needs to remove obstacles from his way um, in, in the pursuit of doing work, right? It sounds like a mouthful. Um, sounds amazing. Sounds like heaven. But uh, there's a book written on it. We've been a, holoc a holocratic organization or a holacracy for three and a half years now. It's working really well for us, I would say. And let me interject right there because it just is a testament <coughs> to working with Indonesians by and large is uh, notoriously difficult. And I mean that in the sense that they... They're very pleasant to work with, but it's very difficult to get a lot of uh, self-management. That's one of the critiques of working with Indonesians. And you've actually proven that critique wrong. And you've said that to me when I brought it up initially in October as well, right? Um, yeah, I think... Um, oh man, I love to geek out on this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I think... Um, so there's a model for... Um, a, a a cultural understanding model um, called uh, Hofstede, who was a Dutch um, scientist um, and uh, or very good observer, to say so. Um, and he talks about six different dimensions that define a culture. And some of those dimensions, we're not going to go full into it, but some of those dimensions are um, distance to power. Um, how likely are people to accept that somebody is sitting way, way, way above at an intangible distance from them has a very, very different set of benefits and privileges in life. And you're down here just doing your little menial job and getting paid what you pay, you get paid and so on. Um, there are countries that have a very high um, distance, a very big gap between, um, between those things. And Indonesia is one of the highest. Um, some that have a very uh, low gap, which would be Scandinavian countries, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's, um, there's also a different dimension that is called avoidance of uh, conflict. Mm -hmm. 
or, or an, uh, generally uncertainty, right? So, um, so you look at it and you're like, how how willing are people to take a risk for a for a high reward? And one of those risks is a conflict, for example, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and again, Indonesia is very, very high on that. On avoid um, an avoidance of conflict. Of avoidance of uncertainty, generally, right? Okay. Um, and conflict comes with it. Um, and there are other countries that are where people are willing to absolutely give it to you, right? Um, there's also uh, direct and indirect, or like low context and high context communication. Mm. Whereas, like, there are cultures that are very direct in what they say. If I think your work is not good enough, I'm just going to be like, yeah, that's going to need a lot more work to get where I want it to be, right? Um, and then there are countries where you're going to be like, this is a really good start. This and this was good, but maybe there's something that we can, um, this and that. And again, Indonesia is on a very high scale in there together with um, places like indirect. Iran. Yeah. yeah. Of needing a lot of context to understand what is being said. Mm. And things, again, because of the... Um, uh, avoidance of uncertainty you don't want to be very confrontational and all those things i think when you understand these things you also understand why your um typical indonesian behaves in a certain way and how culture programs all of us none of us are different we all reflect a part of the cultures that we come from or lived in and adopted as our own right um so now go coming back to to holacracy Yes, I would say it is a challenge to make a holacracy happen anywhere because it requires people to take a huge degree of responsibility, to be motivated by um, autonomy, um, by uh, mastery, by purpose, and all of the things, and to to take risks, you know, of making the wrong decision and all of these things. So it's not it's not something easy to implement wherever you are in the world. There are definitely places that are easier. Um, and people that would be more comfortable with that and people that will find it more difficult. I would say that in Indonesia, we are, we are a very different employer in the way we do things. We, we give a very high degree of freedom. Um, we, we give a very high amount of rewards of all types um, and um, yeah, a great amount of autonomy, flexibility, and so on. So it's not easy to find people that will fit with that culture. Because you choose the people and people choose the company as well, right? So it needs to be from, come both, from both, both sides. sides, yeah. So when you say that you give a high amount of freedom and that you give a high amount of um, reward for effectively like using that performing freedom well, well for performing well, juxtapose that or contrast that against like the typical Indonesian is in a role where how much are they paid and how like what is their con like they have vacation days uh, and for people who don't really know how the Indonesian labor market works and then contrast that to how you actually do things here. Um, yeah. So Indonesia has uh, 12 vacation days, a uh, minimum per, per law. Uh, if per we're year. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Per year. Um, a lot of people work six days a week and uh, work um, very often over time and are not paid for that over time. Um, a lot of people are, told exactly what to do um, and they're absolutely terrified of doing anything that is even one inch to the left or right of that even if they disagree with the decision because they just probably in the past were punished for doing things differently or um yeah or is that rooted in the avoidance of conflict 
I think so. I think they're all interrelated. Okay. In many ways, right? Okay. Um, so, um, and then, um, sadly, very sadly, um, there are a lot of people that are not, um, whose um, potential in humanity is not respected and um, furthered in their jobs here. Let's okay. put it that way, right? Okay. Like there's a lot of, there are a lot of abusive employers um, of both uh, foreign um, origins and local um, nature. Um, I think, I, I mean, I think a certain degree of that happens everywhere, right? Um, but Indonesia being a massive market that people are very interested in, Bali being such an attractive place, um, so dominated by tourism that never stops. There's no days off. There's no, you know, when everybody's got days off and vacation, it's peak time for, for you, sure. right? Yeah. It, it shapes the whole thing, right? I could talk more about it, but those are the, those would be the, the rough lines. Um, I think what we do... Um, I don't want to say what we do is exceptional at all. I, 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 I think it should be the normal in many ways. Um, we, uh, we're interested in work getting done uh, and we're interested in people self-managing as much as possible. Uh, I personally have a very close to zero interest to count vacation days, to chase people to do things they haven't done, to um, check if they haven't... Um, uh, cheated on how many days off they took or if they were really sick when when they said they were sick and all of these things. Um, so, so what we did is that we kind of took all of that off and turned Livid into an environment where people who want to take responsibility, who are self-driven and want to do great things and are motivated and engaged at work thrive. And people who need to be told what to do um, and need here. to be chased and tracked um, and punished and whatever, either don't c come through or don't last, right? So in that, let me ask then, when you, when you combine that, um, let's call it personality type, although it's not a personality type, when you, when you combine that archetype work of, ethic, uh, to uh, say so, yeah, yeah the, the type of person that would work here, then, and you couple that with the systems that you're using, whether it's a sauna um are they are they also responsible for um self-policing in the systems in a way so for instance like are they responsible for creating in asana uh their their weekly to-do list or does that still come in like the who who's dictating those sort of things right most tasks that are assigned in asana and their team are self-assigned okay yeah so there there will be a situation where i see something uh, could be done and I send a task and I ask, can you help out with this? Obviously, right? We, we collaborate and where um, I'll get a lot of tasks assigned to me, right? Um, so there isn't like this idea that there's this top bottom thing where the boss sits down the whole day and assigns things to people and chases people, right? Um, we also have this concept in Livid of um, leadership because obviously you have to have some sort of direction and leadership. None of us actually just manages or just leads. We have our own projects. We have our own work, right? And and leading or um, helping set people up for success is a, is a part of our day. But it's not. Nobody just sits on a chair and leads, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, not, and not a throne. Yeah. Exactly. And and people who have tried to do so have not um, uh, fared Stayed. very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, um, so yeah, so I mean, uh, in terms of rewards, um, rewards can have very different natures, right? They can be tangible, intangible. Um, we um, pay well above the market for many positions well above the market. Indonesia tends to have, um, <laughs> coupled with the distance to power, it tends to have huge gaps. So to have quite good salaries at the upper level and then really uh, poor salaries at the lower level. Um, somebody who works in our, um, let's say, in our welcoming and hospitality part of, of, the, of the company actually just recently said to me, this is the first company, she was employed in similar jobs before, and she said, this is the first company I've ever employed at where I can save money and I have actual vacation to go visit other countries. Mm. Um, and to me, I live for things like that because mm. I want people to... Um, I want people to travel. I want people to develop themselves. They'll come back better, better contributors, Content, right? To, yeah. to, to, to our, um, to our team and, and, and overall happier and everything. So, um, so I'd say, um, so, so we do very generous vacation days, 20 and up. Um, we also respect the public holidays that we have here. Um, we literally don't make our team work on public holidays, even if members are in. We have uh, minimal staff like security and so on, but we don't make everybody come to work just because somebody might want to work on the, on a day off. Um, we have motivating uh, learning and development budgets. We have um, meals, free meals, uh, healthy meals served here. They have access to up to three meals a day. Um, they have access to... Because you had talked about in the past with the meals or with the diet in Indonesia that it's uh calorie rich and nutrient poor and some and and you notice this as a result of some of your workers or i shouldn't say some of your workers some of the people working here that uh what they ate made them basically spike yeah it's a very uh there's a lot of carbs right that are are quickly turned into uh sugar mm -hmm. um and um there's spikes right and then you need a snack and then you need another meal and then um so there isn't a lot of I guess there isn't a lot of thought put into what really nourishes your brain and body and makes you productive. Mm. Um, other things that we do, so, so we do meals, we have a free laundry service, we have um, free wellness events. We also um, allow uh, and encourage, especially encourage everybody to spend 10% of their time at work on their personal development or wellness and we also pay for those things. So not only that they get paid for the time they're doing that, but they also get paid for their expenses that they have if they take a, a class or a course or something. Um, we, uh, yeah, so we do, um, we have uh, um, some new actually things that are coming up this year. Um, I don't know when your podcast is going to come out, but I don't want to reveal them before, <laughs> before my team will know them. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe the next week to two weeks. Yeah, we have. We're looking at uh, we're looking at uh, introducing some 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 other cool perks such as mm. uh, sabbaticals and um, and um, yeah, travel budgets and other things. Wow! Because um, we just like to we we think people come back better off. Yeah. doing that. So we're incentivized um, um, to to do more of that. So um, yeah, uh, people have um, and most roles are remote capable. So unless you're on a front desk shift, right, um, or you um, need to cover a part of um, of the building maintenance or something that obviously needs to be covered, um, 
you are um, able to conduct your work remotely because you've got all the systems, there's nothing stopping you from that. Um, our talent management lead, for example, recently decided to move to Europe and she did so uh, with very little disruption to, to our continuity of work. Um, even if you work in a shift, you have flexibility. You arrange for things to shift to be covered and work to get done and then we don't really care if you um, if you came to work a couple hours late because you had to do something or um, arranged a personal development activity that happened to happen during the day or something. Um, so I would summarize the way we look at management, if you wish, yeah. as in we, most organizations treat people like kids. Mm. They tell them what to do. They track them. They punish them. They have a chat with them and back to square one, right? We believe, I believe people are adults, right? People that we hire are adults who want the best for themselves and want the best for the organization because the organization has proved that when we're doing well, they're doing well too, right? So, um, so we treat them as such. We don't count and track every little thing. Uh, we allow people to, to, to organize work around their lives and lives around their work and it, 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 it all works. Um, this, this flexibility is one of the things that people love the most. Mm -hmm. Um, and even sometimes when they feel, sometimes people might feel like, oh, I might be done with this role. They still don't want to leave because they know they won't find that in many other places. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, so I think those are some of the things that we do, but, um, I really don't like to think of them as exceptional. I think, um, there, why not? Because I think um, human-centric organizations, <laughs> value-based organizations, shouldn't be um, such the a exception. rare thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Shouldn't be the exception. Hmm. I I can say as an outside observer, it does seem to be the exception in Bali. Very yep. very small sample size, but it does seem to be the exception. Whether or not in an ideal world it would be, it like at the moment it definitely seems like that's the case. Um, so congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> on, on being exceptional without trying to be uh, exceptional, Thank I guess you. is the way to put it. So uh, the last thing I want to ch I want to chat with you about, um, what was it? We had talked, I'm trying to go back and remember, um, we had talked about Project Getaway and you had shared a little bit about who comes to that, uh, who it's really suited for, and yeah, can you give an overview and who does well and who thrives in that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we actually have two services or products for Project Getaway right now. Um, we um, launched the, the second one of them uh, last year. Um, so traditionally, uh, Project Getaway was a, um, let's put it this way, an acceleration retreat for mm -hmm. people who wanted to bring their mindset and their business to the next level, right? Be it that you've just got an idea and you want to bring it to implementation, or you want to grow to a few different other countries, or you are not inspired and you're stuck in your day-to-day -day and you want to get some new ideas and unblock your, uh, your uh, creativity and innovation. So what we have done for the past 10 years, we have been doing this since before it was cool. Um, it's a great name, by the way. <laughs> Thank I you. Yeah, I think it's such a great name, please. Um, so, um, yeah, so what we've done is we've put out signups 
um, usually get a lot of um, signups from all over the world. Um, and then we curate a group that we feel can best help each other. So we literally yeah. talk to every person and ask them where they are. Very important. What can they offer what they need, right? And try to match that with the rest of the group. Um, and there's and some types that you specifically say, like, no life coaching, I think, right? There's some people that... Um, I think... Um, We've had um, coaches. We think there are coaches that provide a lot of value, and and and. Um, um, but I think what we uh, have not been very good for is, for example, passive income people, right? Like okay. so, so, so people who want to create this product lines that just like run in the back, and we are a service for people that find meaning and purpose in their work mm. and, 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 and want to feel fulfilled, right? Um, but what's so interesting is you probably market it to people who have read the 4-Hour Workweek and are looking for passive income uh, businesses, mm -hmm. but that they secretly are actually very purpose-driven in the businesses that they, they're not just looking for a lifestyle business maybe, right? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with passive incomes. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have, I don't know, property or or things that produce uh, passive income or a line of products or whatever. Um, I just think that Project Getaway and what happens there is great for, for people that want to, um, it sounds very cheesy, but it's true, want to make the world a better place, right? Like okay. don't just want to get rich, want to put something out in the world that is worth work worth doing, right? So this is what, at the very least in the last five years, this is what Project Getaway, those are the people that Project Getaway has been very relevant for. Okay, I think, um, I, think I misunderstood you when you were talking about passive income. You actually mean like they literally have a real estate portfolio is that what you, when you say somebody who's interested in passive income, what do you so mean by I that? So I think when somebody just wants to, their goal is to literally not do work. Okay. Um, and for example, live off um, the, um, the income imperity of disparity of, um, selling products in the West that are made by children in a sweatshop in China. Like drop shipping. Not all drop shipping is like that, but some is okay. right. So, um, so I think when that's your goal to yeah. make that happen, there yeah. are definitely other events and other conferences and other training, um, and, and masterminds that can help you so much better with that. Right. What we do is... <laughs> what, when are you going to run for political office? <laughs> uh, what, we do, <laughs> what we do is help people get to their next level um, and often is in tandem, like personal development and like their business, right? It's like a reflection of, of what's going on, right? Um, so we've had various types of uh, businesses, lots of tech, of course, because those were the first things that became remote friendly, right? Um, designers, UX designers, um, um, uh, nutritionists, even uh, people who had brick and mortar shops or clinics or whatever and wanted to um, um, go more towards digital or online or diversify in that way. Uh, people who um, uh, counsel on different types of things, for example, uh, um, career, you know, career counselors, career planner, um, and what else? Um, web 
web development, web designers, uh, really like such a wide variety of people that we have seen come through. Mm. Um, and we generally don't really have anybody that we just by default say no to. Okay. I think who we would say by default no to is somebody who can't express themselves in English almost at all because there's no point in you know putting that person in a multicultural environment. Um, somebody who has the all-inclusive mentality and the all-receiving mentality and doesn't want to put back into the group. Mm. Um, so that would, for example, not make a great fit. Just coming here and being like, yeah, I want to get everything. Everything needs to come to me and I don't want to bother to contribute with whatever it is I can contribute, right? So, <clears throat> so I think, uh, yeah, we've had, and every group is different. We've had really interesting dynamics over time. Uh, we have a very interesting community of alumni. Um, actually, one of them uh, who went to uh, Project Getaway Mauritius that we did a few years ago is coming next week talking about she is a um, repeated several times founder, uh, best-selling author, um, a, an acclaimed digital uh, global digital strategist. She's coming to um, do a sharing session actually next week nice. on, on Wednesday. So, so, so is there a group of Project Getaway going on right now? No, there okay. isn't. There's one coming up in, on uh, starting up on March 15th. Okay. Yeah, for three weeks. So, um, so we've got all of that. And what happened is that over the years, some of these people um, have founded or grown or built very successful businesses that now have teams that can also benefit from a similar experience, right? A lot of them are remote teams, so or at least partially distributed teams. So we now offer this Project Getaway team package where you can have a similar experience, but for a team. So mm. um, so basically people work from here, um, and, but we arrange um, all kinds of things for them from accommodation. It's like a chore-free environment. So we basically try to sort of take care of as much as possible so people can um, gain a lot of, save a lot of hours they would have normally spent on being like, oh, where do I get a SIM card, scooter, and, you know, all of these yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, the, so, the, the plumbing of Bali, basically. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, um, yeah, so now we offer this for teams as well. And we've seen a couple of teams come through since we launched, and I'm looking forward to promoting it more actively. What does it what does it what does it cost in general and when do they applicate like you do the application six months out from when you actually do it? Do you want to name names, give numbers? I will just talk for the moment. <laughs> um the prices for teams are actually super um convenient. And they start at roughly four hundred per person dollars per person per week. Okay. All inclusive of space, of accommodation, of activities, of meals, and all of that. Massages. Um, <laughs> and go up to around $1,000 per person per week, which includes access to our consultancy and training resources and everything. So you kind of do two-in-one, right? Like you do a um, team retreat or workation, but you also... Um, learn, potentially learn and streamline a few things. Uh, so that's for teams, for Project Getaway Entrepreneurs. We're very conveniently priced as well. We are um, at around, um, depending on the package you choose, but it's also all inclusive. So accommodation, meals, workspace, excursions, 
laundry, massages, and all kinds of other things, not including the, uh, the air ticket, of course, because people come from different places. Uh, we are uh, between $3,000 and $4,000 for the whole for the whole time. Nice. Um, and how big is the cohort? Sorry? How big is the team? How big is the cohort, the group? We used to do, when we didn't have the hub before, we used to set up a separate villa and um, create a co-working space basically there and everything, uh, which was uh, not very easy to do. So, um, so we used to have bigger groups because of that reason. Uh, now we are looking at um, groups of five to ten or so because we want them to integrate into what we have already going on at the hub. It's cool. Okay. Yeah. And how far out is the application process? Like if you, this March one, these people were applying what, November, December, um, October? No, because um, we, we stay open until about a month before. Okay. So uh, because we found an option for accommodation that is very scalable so we can scale up and down. Um, so and that means if you're listening to this, you could possibly get into the March 15th one because they haven't closed. Is that fair? Correct, they, they have, correct. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. have some very interesting people confirmed uh, from people um, working with um, content and leading third teams of 30 and uh, in-house and 500 freelancers all over the world from Malta to... Um, People starting uh, with a, um, as a as bakers as a side hustle in the U.S. and then that turning into something else like super interesting profiles. Hmm. So if you're listening to this, I can't wait to hear from you. Okay, that's a good note to actually end on. So how do people get in contact with you? How do they either follow you online or actually contact you directly if you want them to contact you? And where do they find out more about you? Um, about Livid or about myself? Either one. Whatever you're comfortable sharing. Um, www.live.it, liv.it is our website. Super simple. You could just put liv.it into your web browser and it'll bring you right to us. Um, projectgetaway.com for Project Getaway. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I guess I'll have my name in the, the blurb. Um, I'm happy to, to get in touch uh, with people. We're on social media if you look for Livid or Livid Hub as well. So, um, so yeah, and come by and see us. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful space, and uh, it's, it's impressive, the, 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 the scope of both the space and also of the offerings, I think. So, Thank congratula- you so much. Congratulations on building an exceptional, <laughs> Thank you so an much. exceptional organization. Thank you. Hi again, folks. If you enjoyed that show, would you please go leave a review in iTunes or whichever platform you're listening to this podcast on? That would help us immensely. Also, tell your friends, tell your family. If you didn't like the show, if you got feedback about it, please send an email to podcast at spreadgreatideas.com. Would love to hear from you. Again, if you liked it, please help us out by spreading the word. If you didn't like it, let us know what we can do to improve it. Thanks a lot and see you on the next one.